for taking thought of wisdom is the perfection of prudence. For taking thought of wisdom is the perfection of prudence. I want to talk about prudence in this homily. Think about it in three steps. What it is, how we can fall into imprudence, and how we can cultivate prudence. First, what is prudence? What prudence is not is prudishness, or as we've heard for so many recent years, out of an abundance of caution. Prudence is not just a great fear of danger and a kind of calculatedness to avoid any kind of risk, but rather prudence is the virtue by which I know the good and I know how to apply the good and what it would take. Think about it as if I have one eye looking up to heaven and one eye looking down to earth. That I know who the good is, God, and then I know what it is he desires me to do. This is prudence. And so for this reason, ancient philosophers, classical virtue has called this the mother of all virtues. It's the charioteer that drives all of the virtues. And that it's now impossible for us to be good people without the virtue of prudence. No one stumbles into the good. Rather, we have to know the good in order to do it. It is impossible, I want to reemphasize that, to be good without the virtue of prudence. And so then we have to ask ourselves, so what are the dangers? What robs us of prudence? What keeps us from knowing the good and then doing it, whether it takes courage or whether it takes patience or whether it just takes moderation? Joseph Pieper, a Catholic philosopher, says that one of the greatest hindrances to prudence is unchastity. And I don't mean unchastity in the narrow sense as far as sexual unchastity, but unchastity in the broad sense, by which I love the goods of the world more than what reason tells me to do. For an example, maybe two years ago or so, I was going to some friend's house and was very excited to go and, and be with these people. First time, it's kind of one of those invites that you kind of wait on getting, and then you're like, okay, yes, I'm going. And so I didn't have time to have dinner at the house, so I stopped at Taco Sisters. And there's their pork burrito, and then like all the things that you feel like you add, you look at that long list on the menu, you're like, I, because I can choose all of these things, this is like exactly what I want. It satiates all of my desires. And so eating that while on the road, which is a skill in itself because it's all the flavor just drips out and it's more than you can handle, while listening to Rich Girl by Hall & Oates on a moderate volume, I was just enjoying the moment. You're enjoying what's in front of you and you're enjoying the past because it was such a reasonable price. And then you're, going, you're enjoying where you're going to where you just kind of like satiate, like you're surrounded by all of this pleasure 
And then there was this thing that happened to me for the first time that I at least noticed in my priesthood that I thought I can do something about this. On Johnson Street, there was a wreck with an ambulance there. And I thought immediately, wow, that's pretty bad. And then I thought, man, somebody should do something about somebody should do something about this. And I thought, wait, I'm a priest. You know, I can do something about this. I can anoint. And then I thought, but this burrito. And that's whenever it gets. Now, the, don't worry. I, I did. I got out of the truck. Okay, I, I did it. But as a point to illustrate, is that sometimes we can be so immersed in these pleasures that it prevents us from knowing to do the good. Again, that was the first time I recognized that happened in my priesthood. That was like probably three and a half, four years into priesthood. It may have happened before, but maybe it was another meal on the go and another uh, album from the 80s. Who knows? That prevented me from knowing. And so unchastity. Unchastity is what one of the main obstacles to prudence is. Let's go to the gospel and kind of paint the picture. So what is going on? This, what Jesus is describing, is a Jewish tradition at a wedding where you would have, after the wedding ceremony and all the festivities, the bridesmaids or the uh, virgins would light lamps or torches and process from the reception to the home where the bride and groom would consummate. Now, I've never been a bridesmaid, but I've been a groomsman or part of a, of a groom's party, a bridal party. And that is an experience I would never look forward to being a part of again, especially on the wedding day, especially if it's a night wedding, because you just sit around all day. You sit around and you can get hyper-focused on this one thing that you have to do. You have to go and you have to bow here. You have to, you know, let go of the bridesmaid there. And then you come around, you come up, you know. It's like very simple things that it seems impossible to do because you're thinking about it all day. But you can't think about it all day. Or you wouldn't. And so what you do is you hang around in the bridal party, just waiting in your tuxes, you're talking, you're just killing time, you forget about everything, and then by the time that the actual ceremony comes, you blow it. Or, if you're the priest in the bridal party, you realize, oh, wait a second, it's 30 minutes before the wedding, I haven't written anything for the homily, you know? Why? Because you're just kind of goofing around. You're not doing anything, you're waiting, you're killing time. These maidens have one job. Grab your torch, grab your oil, and walk like a hundred feet. That's it. And somehow these maidens forget their oil. At least five of them do, while the other five don't. And again, what is the problem? You can kind of speculate. Maybe it's because they got too anxious about the task. Maybe it's because they were just piddling around and, and not doing anything. Maybe it was because they thought hey, this is going to be easy enough, they became prideful. Whatever it is, it led to them not being clear-sighted about the task at hand. And Jesus tells us what the point of the parable is at the very end. That stay awake, 
for you do not know the day nor the hour. That we're called to task all the time. It was only um, this past week that I realized just because when I get into the car, just listening to useless noise, like there's a friend that I need to call that I haven't called in weeks that's going through a difficult time. That because we pump ourselves with so many silly pleasures, we miss a whole new vista, a whole new view of what it is that the Lord wants us to do. Because we're kind of waiting in this bridal party area, waiting for God to ask us to do something. But because we're piddling, we don't know what it is that he desires us to do in the present. Prudence. It requires chastity of heart. But more than chastity of heart, I want to just go over three things that prudence requires from us. And all under one thing. Um, So, Pieper says that the one thing that prudence requires of us is a disposition of silent contemplation. Silent contemplation. In other words, I'm not trying to flee reality all the time. I have to accept reality is good. You know, like whenever we hear this, every time I read this gospel, I get a little anxious when I hear the last line, therefore stay awake for you know neither the day nor the hour. Oh, I just have to be anxiously awaiting for Jesus to come, you know, and white-knuckling until then. Have a sense of divine paranoia until Jesus comes back again. But what he's saying is, is that the wedding feast is good. Like, look forward to the wedding feast. And that's what Pieper is saying here with this idea of silent contemplation. Reality is good. Don't try to flee from it all the time through noise. We need to be able to embrace reality. Have a silent contemplation. And with that, he says that it means that we have to cultivate three things. First, memory. We need to be able to cultivate memory. How many times do I leave a social interaction, get in my car, immediately turn on Spotify, an audio book, um, YouTube audio, whatever it is, and not just recollect about the things that happened. That I can't talk about the meal that I had this morning, or when that's aggregated, that I feel like I can't talk about my week or even how the past year was. Because I'm always trying to flee reality. That if I'm not cultivating memory, then I won't know what to do when temptation comes. Because I won't remember how I got out of it in the past. Cultivating a memory invites us to be prudent and invites us to not fall into the love of the world so that we don't become unchaste and imprudent. Cultivate a memory through silent contemplation and regularly examine our day at the end of it. Secondly, after memory, docility. So what docility is, Pieper says, is an open-mindedness that recognizes the true variety of things and does not cage itself in in any presumptive or deceptive knowledge. Basically, don't be closed-minded and a know-it-all. If I'm doing that, then I am very much like the Pharisees who are trying to, by my knowledge, then obtain the goods of the world. Just become powerful. Get what I want. And so I'm threatened by the knowledge of others. I'm threatened by my own experience. And I can't reflect upon it. 
But the good man looks at the good, and he looks how good reality or the wedding feast or God himself is. And so he's always open to becoming better. He's always open and receives well the sins that he falls into because he knows that if he's aware of them, then reality can only become better. Then he can only love the wedding feast all the more. Then he can only love God all the more. Docility and open-mindedness because we know that God is good and that when he reveals evil to us, it's only for our good. And then this third and last word, and use that at your next tea party because he doesn't translate it into English, it's solercia, solercia. And this is a clear-sighted objectivity in unexpected circumstances and swiftness to act. One thing about the imprudent person is that they don't think about anything at all and then it takes them forever to act. In other words, the imprudent person is the young, un, is the young uncommitted person, the person that just cannot make a decision but yet doesn't think about anything at all. While the prudent person, on the other hand, is, as we say, slow in deliberation. He thinks about what must be done for a while, and then he's swift to act. When it's time to act, he makes the decision, and he makes it with conviction and certainty and clarity. Solertia, that I'm always open to the ambulance that comes by on Johnston Street, or the friend in distress, or the situation that unfolds at home. That because I don't have my head buried in the sand of pleasure, I'm able to respond on the, on the fly. Because I know neither the day nor the hour that the Lord will call me to task. And so in the end, it is the good man who is prudent. And it is the man who is not good that is imprudent. That we need to avoid filling ourselves with needless pleasure lest we be, we be blind, to, blind to the one good, God himself, to be able to tolerate reality in a silent contemplation by cultivating our memory of ourselves, by being docile to reality and open-minded, and being swift to act whenever it is time to.